son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Looking good, looking good, like you know we should. Looking good today. You're listening to the Iron Mike Keenan Podcast. With the bomb going strong, we can do no wrong. We're looking good today. Welcome to the Iron Mike Keenan podcast, episode number 12. Scott Morrison, along with the coach, Iron Mike. Mike, how are you this week? Uh, really well, Scott. Uh, certainly uh, glad to be back involved with the hockey podcast. And uh, uh, as we see these competitive uh, teams battle back, it's been a very interesting week for hockey. And, and, uh, and the underdog and, and the aspect that teams can respond to deficits of 3-1 to come back to play exciting game sevens is great for hockey. Well, first, uh, thanks to Graham Rouston, the owner and publisher of the Hockey News and uh, our new affiliation with the Sports Illustrated, which uh, has brought us a new audience. So that's uh, wonderful news right there. But to your point, we talked about it last week in episode 11, wondering how difficult it might be for teams to battle back uh, under the circumstances of in a series, if they were down by a couple games, uh, under the circumstances of being in a bubble, being away from home for a long period of time, not having home fans to maybe help you change momentum in a game or in a series. And yet we see, we saw three game sevens and, and teams battling back from 2 nothing and 3-1 deficits. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's because uh, they're spending so much time together as a group and uh, really uh, – uh, it's exciting to see that the, the hockey players still have that kind of passion. As you said, it, it might be easier to say, well, we're down 3-1. It'd be easier to get out of the bubble and go home and see our families. But uh, there's a certain resolve amongst uh, athletes, and, and certainly uh, pride is involved, and, and they've been competitive as they battle back. And uh, a series can take a lot of different turns. There's been some injuries to, uh, to teams that uh, – were unexpected. The great hot goaltending can put you there as well. And I think just the fact that uh, uh, they've made a commitment to, to go into the bubble and uh, be protected at the same time, there seems to be a competitive spirit uh, evolving here as they get closer to the idea that they might be part of a Final Four uh, competition and, of course, then on to the Stanley Cup. Okay, let's... Uh... This week's topic, we're going to talk about coaches, and we talked last week again about a number of coaching changes, which to me seemed a little unusual given the circumstances of a short season. But as you mentioned, it's all about expectations and fulfill, fulfilling them. Um, but I want to talk about coaches who had an impact on your career. And uh, we've talked about a few of them off air, and let's start with uh, Tom Watt. Yeah, Tom Watt uh, was a very, very influential uh, coaching mentor of mine. Uh, I met Tom uh, when I became a student at University of Toronto and, and played for Tom uh, for the Varsity Blues. Uh, uh, very interesting introduction. I have to share this 
So I go to Tom's office uh, unannounced and his uh, lovely secretary, uh, an elder, older gal that had been there for years and years and years in Hardhouse. And uh, I go in and I said, I'd like to speak to Tom Watt. And uh, she says, uh, what's your name? I told her and Tom come out and said, hi, uh, I'm Tom Watt. I said, I'm Mike Keenan. And he said, uh, uh, how can I help you? And I said, well, Tom, I'm a graduate of St. Lawrence University and I'm enrolled now at University of Toronto. I'd like to try out for your team. And he said, uh, what do you play? And I said, Tom, what do you need? He said, defense. I said, I play defense. So <laughs> I was going to give him the answer, forward or defense. It didn't matter because I did play both as a youngster all through minor hockey and then of university and junior hockey as well. So that was my first introduction. Then we became great friends. I really appreciated his coaching style technique. Uh, he had a lot of international experience uh, involved with Hockey Canada and traveling the world and viewing uh, the Soviet Union, going to China. Uh, we went internationally as a team to Poland. Uh, I understood what a Baza was as I came in back and went to Russia, of course. Uh, so we had great hockey experience, winning experience. We won the national championship that year. And, and then Tom and I continued our, our relationship. Uh, I went to, on to Peterborough after a, a while. I came back after playing minor pro and, and then coaching uh, a senior A and, and coaching junior hockey and then end up going uh, to uh, Peterborough. But prior to that, coaching Oshawa, then Tom would send uh, various players like Mike Polino, who couldn't quite make the varsity team the first year. I sort of became a farm club uh, with the junior team. And then Tom and I continue to speak often, very, very often about the dynamics of the game and drills. And we made a drill book together. I worked for him at Upper Canada College at the hockey school. Uh, so he was a great mentor of mine and, and really helped me understand the game and understand the preparation and, and the way that he had coached us. Uh, uh, we had a hockey book, uh, which was new. I never had a, a coach provide us with a manual of what we were going to do in every situation. So a great uh, teacher and mentor and a great coach for all of us. I mean, he won uh, 11 university championships in Ontario and then won national championships nine times. So uh, he's for sure, in my mind, a Hall of Fame coach. Well, I should mention that Tom recently got inducted in the Ontario Sports Hall of Fame. So great news on that Excellent. front for him. And you guys, of course, connected down the road in various ventures. So. Uh, yes, he, he coached with me in Canada Cup as well, and yeah. and uh, he actually invited me to be his assistant coach in Winnipeg. And again, I, I can share this with the audience; they'd never know it. That uh, John Ferguson said, "Great selection, Tom," but I can't take Mike. And Tom said, "Why not?" He said, "Because of the fiasco of Regina, and that's a big part of our fan base." So I went back to junior hockey. And that after the Memorial up, Cup story, yeah, obviously. Yeah, now after I've been coaching in Rochester. So uh, anyway, our relationship continued and uh, Tom came and, and uh, viewed my teams and evaluated them for me uh, in various locations in Philadelphia, for example. Then I hired him as uh, part of our coaching staff in 87-91. So 
we continue to have our our discussions about hockey even today. And he he became uh, an HL coach at various uh, stops, like all of us. But continued to work for the Toronto Maple Leafs for years as a scout. And uh, I was really pleased that the Toronto Maple Leafs supported such a great coach in the city of Toronto. Well, you had a strong, you coached obviously in Peterborough, but a strong connection there. Captain video, Roger Nielsen. Yes, Roger was also a great mentor of mine. And, and Tom and I discussed a lot of the aspects of a systems, systematic approach to hockey, the preparation, the physiology, uh, and the various other aspects of the game. But Roger, as everyone knows, started to really uh, introduce the video aspect of the game. And our connection in Peterborough, I went to Peterborough following Gary Green, who won the Memorial Cup, and then we go to the Memorial Cup finals. And Roger now had gone on, and he's now coaching with Scotty Bowman in Buffalo. But we kept in contact uh, often uh, trying to analyze the use of video and how it could effectively help uh, the team, help individuals get better, and and certainly – we continued uh, our relationship as well as a completely different style of coach than Tom. But uh, again, I helped, they helped me build a broader base of my own uh, coaching foundation. Did you, uh, Roger was known for not only video, but a lot of crazy stunts that he used to pull in junior yeah. hockey during games. Did you pick up any of those? Well, uh, the one great one where the goaltender would be pulled with the uh, with the uh, extra attacker, he'd tell the the goalie to leave the the stick on the goal line just in case they shot it down the puck down the ice and would hit the stick and not go in. So that was one example. And uh, yes, he was very creative in in uh, studying the rules of the game and how he could bend the rules if you like uh, to take advantage uh, for his teams. And of course. Uh, their relationship uh, went back. That I'm talking now about Scotty Bowman. Uh, Scotty uh, and Roger had both coached at Peterborough, had a relationship because they were both involved with the Montreal Canadiens and their developmental system. So uh, when Roger went to uh, Buffalo and then Scotty was looking for a coach for Rochester, uh, uh, Roger introduced me to Scotty. Scotty came to watch me coach in, in Niagara Falls often right across the the river from, from Buffalo and introduced himself to me one night and eventually offered me the job uh, to coach the farm team in, in uh, Rochester, New York, in the American League. So that's how uh, I first got involved with Scotty. And of course, uh, he was the general manager and coach of the Buffalo Sabres at the time. Uh, legendary coach already and uh well we'll get to scotty in a minute just uh well one other roger story was on a penalty shot he once put a defenseman in goal instead of the goalie and had him charge out at the at the shooter and knock the puck away but uh, i think i think the uh the 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 defenseman was stackhouse ron stackhouse that's right yeah a million roger stories on that front and a great mentor as you say for you you mentioned gary green you followed him in peterborough Yes, uh, Greener also was a great supporter of mine. Uh, when I was coaching Rochester, uh, he was moving on now to the Washington Capitals situation. And uh, he recommended to the executive uh, group in Peterborough that they interview me. And 
but I had a background quite like Roger. I was a, a high school teacher coaching junior hockey, uh, had some minor league experience as a player, played university hockey, played junior hockey, uh, was familiar. Um, and that introduction to the executive group uh, opened the door for me. And, and uh, they liked uh, uh, the fact that I was a teacher and, and had a, they had a great emphasis in Peterborough at the time about schooling and hockey. And uh, I fit the requirements that they liked and Greener introduced me uh, to those people. And as a result, I got the job in, in, in Peterborough. So you mentioned the legend, Scotty Bowman, hiring you in uh, Rochester, Buffalo's farm team. And uh, you mentioned to me off air that uh, Scotty used to come to a lot of your games. Yes, he did. And I think he, 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 he saw something of himself in me. Uh, I was a, a pretty uh, involved bench manager, but Scotty would come to the games. Uh, he would send often uh, some of the, the other assistant coaches like Jimmy Roberts would come down uh, with Red Berenson and then Roger would come down and they were the three main assistant coaches that he had. But oftentimes he would show up if, if the schedule permitted and at the time, I think it was the the, uh, the advent of the new cell phone in your in your car. So he'd come down and and after the game, it would be a seventy minute or ninety minute conversation as he's driving back to Buffalo from Rochester, uh, with a great cross examination of every move I made. He had an incredible mind. He memorized every shift, every player. He'd, he'd say, well, "Why'd you put Bobby Mongrain on the power play? He should be killing penalties." And what he was doing, he was testing me. Uh, and he never interfered or said, you should do this or that. But he was always inquisitive about what I did and, and how I managed the bench and how I coached and how I prepared and about the opposition. What was my concerns about Binghamton, for example, or any other team? And, and it was great conversation to a point that at sometimes he would call me. And I don't know if he ever slept. He'd call me in the middle of the night, two, three in the morning. And one of his great traits was he'd ask you questions, and before you could answer, he'd be giving you the answer. Uh, he'd say, what do you think about that uh, Jimmy Schoenfeld play last night? Before I could even answer, after watching the video, he'd be telling me the analysis of it all. So uh, a very quick mind, uh, very impatient individual in terms of uh, uh, if you didn't have the response immediately, he didn't have time for you to to wait, we just engage in conversation about hockey. But again, uh, I saw him in training camp often where he'd run out of the stands and go down in the ice in his street shoes and, and shout out commands and say the guys weren't paying attention. And, and this all happened in Lake Placid because we go there every fall for training camp. So uh, an incredible indiv individual in terms of accomplishments, obviously. And, I was doing a study in 1981 Canada Cup, and of course they lost big time. And Scotty ran off the ice, he ran right to me. I don't know why. I was just a, like a, a young coach. And he said, can you believe that bloody goaltending we had tonight? I was terrible. So he was talking about Mike Liute. And uh, so it was always a, a great uh, conversation of hockey, uh, being around him and then, and then being around uh, Roger, Jimmy, and, and Red as well. Uh, some great insights, uh, two uh, great professionals, and then 
two great coaches and, and they became excellent coaches as well. Red being uh, the master coach at Michigan for so many years. So uh, those people all had great influences on me and developing my, I guess, basis for my, my future coaching career. And, and uh, I think all of us have mentors along the way, but I was a, a exceptional people to work with and, and to learn from. So you have four great mentors to be sure. So you get to Philadelphia to start your NHL career and uh, you built yourself a different kind of coaching staff there. And you mentioned that Ed Snyder, the late Ed Snyder, the owner of the Flyers, had given you instructions about the kind of staff he wanted to see. Yes, he was very involved uh, with the Eagles, the football team in the National Football League. And the National Football League was, uh, if you like, ahead of the hockey structure, hockey I think Philadelphia was the first team that had multiple coaches when they had Freddie Sherrill and it was it Mike Nicolak. Yep. And, and, uh, and then Eddie, uh, Mr. Snyder with the approval of Bobby Clark, who was, uh, also a great believer in multiple coaching staff. Uh, we expanded the, the coaching staff there. So I had EJ McGuire who I'd uh, known and worked with, of course, and then Teddy Sater, uh, both really well-educated individual. Teddy and I had worked together at many hockey schools in the summer, and he was uh, also an assistant coach of Bob McCammon prior to my arrival. So I kept in Pat Croce, uh, was a strength and conditioning coach with a physiology background, uh, really understood the development, physical development of hockey players. And then we went on to special skills development, like Billy Barber, Hall of Famer, who was just finishing his career because of a knee injury. And then we expanded the staff to uh, Bernie Perrant, who meant so much to Pelly Lindbergh. And Bernie was the goaltending instructor. And Mike Finicchiaro then became the video replay man. And then E.J. McGuire went out to Vancouver uh, to visit with a professor. And they developed the time on ice. It became more sophisticated even than what the, the NHL uses today. Uh, so there were great examples of expanded uh, coaching team. Was and that, Paul Holmgren part of that group? They, he be, uh, Paul replaced, he came on and replaced Teddy because Teddy, after one year, went on to be the head coach of the New York Rangers. And then Paul joined our staff as well. So uh, it was really interesting in the fact that uh, we had uh, an unbelievable uh, base to work with, uh, to develop the individuals, develop the teams, and and probably one of the first groups of coaches, even before the uh, computer came in, we we had uh, communication upstairs. Uh, we kept log of everything we actually did, and Teddy Sater was in charge of that. And at the end of the year, we'd have the, a notebook about six inches deep uh, of everything that we possibly did on every account within every practice, uh, every meeting we had with any player, group players, uh, the way we traveled, when we ate, what we ate, uh, what Pat Croce did for training. We'd have training sessions every, about every six weeks to renew the physical uh, 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 upgrading of our team. So we, we were way ahead of our time, I believe, and probably reflected in the results that we had uh, as a coaching team. We had great results, as you know, 
early, even with tragedy of uh, losing a goaltender, Pelle uh, Lindbergh and Vezina Trophy winner, we, we went to the Stanley Cup Finals twice. And the first year was the youngest team in pro sport, not just hockey. So I think that idea that Mr. Snyder really wanted to see uh, uh, gave great results to the Philadelphia Flyers and our coaching team were really, really on one page. We really worked hard together, spent hours together uh, developing our program in every aspect. So I think that that was, uh, again, all of us uh, had some teaching backgrounds. EJ was a teacher prior to that, and Teddy was a teacher, and of course, great experience. Bobby Clark, leadership amongst the Philadelphia Flyers, and Billy Barber, great skill development, and Bernie, a Hall of Famer and goaltender. And Mike Finicchio, as you know, had extensive uh, skills in, in video. So uh, I was very fortunate to be surrounded by such a great team of coaches. You did smaller things too, like individual water bottles, for instance. Yeah, we, we, we got involved with the physiology, the hydration, individual water bottles that everybody uses now. Even the water bottle on the net originated with us as a coaching team. And Pelly Lindbergh was suffering in, uh, from dehydration and cramping up in, in the spring of uh, 1985 when they were driving the playoffs. And I insisted the, to the league that they allow goaltenders to have water. There was some objective. And I said, well, then you're going to be responsible if something happens to Pelly uh, medically then you're going to be responsible because we're going on record that we've asked for this request. Of course, that was the introduction of water uh, for the player that played the most. Uh, and that was the goaltender. So there were small examples of things that we did. We did goal setting on a 10 game segment or five game segments. Uh, we introduced uh, a, a non-individual bonus structure. It was all team. So the only way a player could get uh, bonuses, and at the time, the entire payroll was $2 million. So, uh, and Mark Howe was the highest paid player, 250000 a superstar. But we had team bonuses that, that and, and the, and the uh, players agreed to this. They took all their individual bonuses out of their contracts, and we introduced a team bonus in conjunction uh, with uh, Mr. Steyer and Bobby Clark. And uh, they bought into it and loved it because they all made money together and it, it reinforced the roles of every individual, how important it was, whether you're Dave Brown getting six minutes or eight minutes or you're Brian Prop uh, who got the most minutes as a forward at 26 minutes and Mark Halgett and Brad McCrimmon both played over 30 minutes at the time. Uh, Pelle Blimberg, a Hall of Fame goalie, they all get the same amount of money if they reach the collective goal per segment. So that was another interesting development that we established and started in Philadelphia. And one other thing you did, and it's a funny story, because uh, I remember John Brophy was coach of the Maple Leafs. They were out of the playoffs, and he would go on the road and watch teams. He'd watch teams practice and watch their morning skates and the games, scouting players, whatever. And I think you guys were playing – in Montreal and he watched the morning skate and he got so excited because you had all your players dressed from head to toe in black socks, black pants, black sweaters. 
And he said, look at these guys. They look mean. They're menacing. He says, I'm going to do that when I get back to Toronto. What was, was that all done on purpose? It was. And, and, and the other thing that we did, uh, they wore black helmets with no numbers. And uh, the league uh, didn't like that. But we didn't have any numbers. And that was an idea that came from Roger Nielsen. Don't have a number on the helmet. It makes it difficult, more difficult for the official to identify uh, in a game who actually committed the, the, the foul, if there was a foul. And then, of course, as you pointed out, John, in the pregame skates, we went to an all-black uniform uh, just because we were the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and Broad I think Street Bullies. The Broad Street. We didn't. Uh, we were a very physical team. We weren't of the same nature, no, but no. we had, uh, but we had some real enforcers as well. And I mentioned one of Dave Brown, and they also the other part of it was the way we would prepare our team in practice. It, it became a, a, a transition in time where the practices went from an hour and a half to seventy minutes, and then the pregame skates, uh, a twenty-minute full-out practice, high tempo. And oftentimes people would say, how can these guys play it? And they'd look at what they just did for practice in the morning. But it was a lot of specificity, uh, specifically learning muscle memory at, at game conditions uh, so that you would respond in a game to, to what your muscle memory or, or you could play a system at full tempo that would be required at game time. So it was an introduction to a different approach. And, and then, of course, that... I'm, I'm surprised that you had recalled that John did that because, of course, John, I coached against John in the American League. He loved that idea and, and reinforced it with his own teams after. So it was an interesting uh, development in, in our coaching staff. We put it together and said, yeah, we're going to go into Montreal or any foreign uh, building, a visitor's building, and we're going to present ourselves and Bobby Clark was really uh, uh, pushed for this. He said, we have to have an identity. Every team should have an identity. We had an identity when I was uh, the, the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. We've lost that. We've got to go back and find an identity. And we definitely did one fine when we were winners. And we won often. I think we had 50-some-odd wins my first year. And, of course, went to the finals on the team that that wasn't expected to make the playoffs after losing Hall of Famers and Clark Barber and then, of course, Sittler being traded. So, uh, and, and Pelly was struggling in goal prior to, to that year, up and down in the minors. So we really established the team concept and then reinforced it. So you talked about your practices being shorter but more intense. Tell the story. We'll just fast forward for a little bit, but it's a great story. Tell the story about what the reaction was when you got to Russia and brought that philosophy. Well, that was uh, something that really foreign to them because the Soviet Union at the time were spending 11 months together, hardly being home in their, with their families, living in the Baza, which is uh, like being isolated almost in a compound. And, and their practices would be an hour and a half, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, standing around because the Soviet coaches were fearful that if they didn't spend the entire day and then off ice training in between, in between, that they would be dismissed. They were treated almost like it was an army. And the mentality was that these soldiers had to work together all day long to be most effective. So when I went there and introduced the idea of 
70 minute practice. If we have an off ice and we come back, we'll have another 70 minute practice. I wasn't going to push the envelope too far yet that we wouldn't have the second practice, but uh, I had to sell that idea to them and it worked out well. But uh, again, a, a great transition, but it was also a big transition in the NHL at the time. Um, one other thing you did, I was just going to say the Russians had players in bubbles slightly before their time, but uh, exactly. Yeah. One other thing you did, I found, and a lot of teams do it today now, but not so much back in the day, was taking players on retreats during the season. Yes, we did that often. I did that every year. It cost you a lot of money, too. It did, <laughs> on different occasions. But, uh, yeah, right starting with Philadelphia and throughout my career, I would take on respites and do uh, team building. And one example, for example, it was, it was great. We went to Lake Placid with the Philadelphia Flyers, and here I am, I'm a young coach. I'm 35 years old and not that, I still trained very hard and was playing uh, when I was 29 years old uh, in the Olympic program for Canada uh, prior to going to Peterborough. So I donned the equipment and they loved it because I'd scrimmage one day, uh, uh, half the time on one side and half on the other. And I said, take your best shot, man. They just loved the idea. I think Lindsey Carson couldn't wait just to for me. And I know Greg Dil Gilbert did it when I went to Chicago because I did the same thing in Lake Arrowhead. But you talk about expense. I took the Blackhawks, for example, to a respite in a, a golf course in Southern California. And we were training in the day and, and, uh, and then golf and let, I let them golf. And as we arrived at the, at the resort, I said, guys, uh, the golfing's on me. Just sign it to my room. So I go to check out the bill was $10,000. And I said, what is this? They said, well, you said sign it to your room. I didn't say for clubs and shoes and, and all the equipment and the rentals. So uh, that was one lesson learned. But I also took the Chicago team to Banff. And as you know, I was always into music. So I took the team. Uh, we were training. And then one night we went to a, a bar that had a great band playing. And so uh, I know enough to leave early and, and I leave the team and I leave my credit card with Michelle Goulet and the next day it comes in with the bill. I said, well, Michelle, just bring the bill the next day and the drinks are on me and you guys enjoy yourself. Team building again. I come and I look at the bill. I said, what is this? He said, oh, Mike, I bought drinks for the entire bar all night, just not for the team. So I learned another lesson, but it was great team building and, and, and they got such a, a kick out of that. Going back to the, the I got to finish the story about the golf. So I go to hand the bill in to Mr. Wurtz, as you know, was a dollar bill. And he, he almost like, what is this? I said, I'll tell you what, Mr. Wurtz. I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said, if we go to the Stanley Cup finals, you pay it. And if, I, if we don't go to the Stanley Cup finals, I'll pay it. And he said, that's a deal. I went right downstairs and said, guys, we're going to the Stanley Cup finals. We didn't even start the playoffs yet. They said, why? He says, I don't want to pay the $10,000. I want Mr. Wurtz to pay it. And then... Of course, we go to the finals that year and play against Pittsburgh. So uh, great uh, team building uh, ventures that really helped our teams come together. I think it was a, a great technique. Okay, we're going to wrap for this week. And uh, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about your various coaching stops, your multiple coaching stops along, along the trail and, uh, and get some more great stories. So until next week, everyone, enjoy and stay safe.